You're listening to a Crossroads original podcast. I don't know about you, but I tend to start my faith calendar with December 25th. Yeah, I'm, I'm talking about Christmas season, the birth of the Christ child. And now whether Jesus was actually born in December is up for debate by some historians. They say it may have actually been more like springtime. But regardless, the global, uni- the global Judeo-Christian church celebrates the Christmas season Advent during December, and it's become tradition. Well, my guest today is going to be talking about another feast celebration party that perhaps even trumps Christmas, as exciting as it is to give gifts and celebrate the birth of the Christ child. We're going to get into that interview in just a minute, but you are listening to the 100 Huntley Street Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Masry. I'm so glad you've joined me today, because this guest we've got for you is fascinating. I always, always enjoy the opportunity to speak with him. He is just one of these great thinkers of our time. He is historian and theologian, Dr. N.T. Wright, celebrated author of multiple books that have become uh, prescribed reading for many theology students. Of course, he comes to us from the United Kingdom, just a wonderful uh, individual, just a great heart for God, and has such great, valuable insights into what it means to live the Christian life, to walk the Christian walk. And he's going to be talking to us a bit about the Easter celebrations. And of course, we look at Easter as a little bit more of a somber sort of recognition, acknowledgement, of course, it's centered around the the Last Supper, the Lord's Supper, if you will, where we remember Jesus' death, burial, but we also remember his resurrection on the third day. And uh, Dr. Wright, well, I don't want to give too much away about the interview, but he says, you know, maybe we are missing this power. Maybe we need to unleash, unlock a power that has been given to us when we celebrate the resurrection of our Lord. Because he says, you know, when we pray the Lord's Prayer, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Dr. Wright says we shouldn't be waiting for the not yet to experience heaven on earth, but in fact, Jesus unleashed heaven right here on earth for us to experience in the here and now when he was resurrected. So that is a really good reason to celebrate, a really great reason to party. And as much as we love celebrating the birth of Jesus, his resurrection is what sealed the deal for us as followers of Christ and friends of God. So without further ado, I think we should go to that interview right now. Here is the one, the only Dr. N.T. Wright. Well, I'm so honored to be joined by historian and theologian, Dr. N.T. Wright, to reconnect us with the power so many of us miss during the Easter season. And not just this time of year, but all year long. Welcome back to 100 Huntley Street, Dr. Wright. Thank you. Very good to be with you. You know, in your latest offering, On Earth As Is In Heaven, it's a collection of writings from some of your previous books, assembled by your son, Oliver, of all people, which is wonderful. How meaningful this must have been for you. This is an exciting project, and I can't remember which of us actually thought of it. I think it may actually have been Oliver, just in kind of casual conversation. You know, hey, Dad, why don't you do something like... And he organized it all. He went through my other books and lined up the topics and decided to go from Easter to Easter, not from New Year to New Year, as often 
books of readings do. And uh, so we then spread it all out over the floor, um, printed out a version, and we fiddled around with it. And uh, but basically, it was his idea. He's got a he's got a very organized mind. He was he was a lawyer before he is now doing a doctorate in philosophical theology. But uh, he ha has a legally trained mind, so I think the organization comes from there. Absolutely, he certainly knows how to lay out the arguments very very well, and no small feat for our viewers that want to pick up that book, which I would strongly encourage you to do so. I want to take you back, you know, Dr. Wright, because in your own ministry, there was something about your personal experience that changed how you interpret the significance of this portion of the Lord's Prayer, the Our Father, on earth as it is in heaven. What was that change? It, well, that's a good question. I think it took place over quite a long period of time, but I grew up in an ordinary um, Anglican Church of England home um, and both there and then in various other contexts like script union boys camps and so on, where I learned the faith in new ways as a teenager, the whole emphasis was on um, how do we as sinners get to go to heaven one day. And I just assumed that was what the whole of Christianity was all about um, and everything else serves that purpose. And then it was it was a slow awakening really through, I think, through the 1980s, um, indeed, when I was teaching in Canada, um, it, it was beginning then, um, and I was being made more and more aware of things right across the Bible, which were about um, what is God doing in the world at the moment, and particularly how does the message of the resurrection, which I'd always implicitly believed in, um, actually work backwards into um, uh, into our, our own actual life now. And so I think... Um, it would be hard to date it because it would have to be a sort of step-by-step -step process. But at some point, I realized that when we pray, thy kingdom come on earth as in heaven, it isn't a sort of a temporary thing. Please, may we have some good times on earth before we then leave and go to heaven. But this is actually um, God's whole purpose all the way through. In a sense, I've been learning that all my life. And I think it's only really now in the last 10 years that I've consolidated it and seen a bigger biblical picture as to how that works. But it's been it's been a, a lifelong process of change from a kind of philosophical or Platonist view of Christianity as being all about my soul going to heaven to a biblical view, which is about the God who made the world who wants to come and be at home with us in his world and have his world thrill and throb to his presence and his justice and his joy. And what a perspective change that is. And, you know, the disciples coming to Jesus, asking him how they should pray. And Jesus says, we pray this way. And it starts with the Our Father. What, what do you think, Jesus, what was, the, what was the main point? He was trying to get us to understand, teaching us to pray this way and very strategically so. Yeah, yeah. Well, of course, Jesus' whole message uh, it begins at the start of the Synoptic Gospels. The time is fulfilled. God's kingdom is about to come or is, is actually appearing now. Therefore, sort yourselves out and believe this good news. And, and the idea of the time being fulfilled was not a time for a new message of how to escape the world. In Jewish history, the time being fulfilled looks back to prophets like Daniel or Isaiah or indeed the Psalms and says, there is coming a time when the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And Jesus is saying, it's time for God to become king, and this is what it'll look like. And that idea of God becoming king on earth as in heaven, and God 
um, having, as it were, had to absent himself because of human wickedness and Israel's wickedness, etc. God always said he would come back and sort it all out. And the prayer really concentrates that. This is the time for this to happen. And so, because God is always a power-sharing God, that's one of the other things I've learned slowly over the years. It isn't a case of God doing everything and us just being spectators. It's a matter of what God wants to do in the world. Right from Genesis 1, God wants to do it with and through his image-bearing human creatures. That's part of what it means to be made in God's image, is to have that vocation. And so prayer is part of what we do to show we are on side with this and God's spirit is moving in our hearts and this is God the Father, God the Holy Spirit and us following Jesus. It's a very Trinitarian thing, even though the doctrine of the Trinity isn't mentioned in the prayer, but you can only really understand what's going on if you have that sense of God the Creator, God within us by his spirit, and then Jesus leading the way and shaping us as we do so. That's powerful, us being active participants in that, uh, in that beautiful story that, that God writes throughout scripture. I wanna like, because you mentioned something about Oliver saying, dad, I think you need to compile a book that takes us from Easter to Easter. I mean, oftentimes we think, especially in the Western world, we think of the, the calendar year in terms of New Year's, you know, ending with, you know, the Christmas season and of course, celebrating the birth of the Christ child. Why, why do you think the world is so much more inclined to celebrate Christmas or to acknowledge Christmas over the Easter season? Because it's, it's a very good question because of course, in say the great Eastern churches, the Eastern Orthodox churches, there's no question Easter is the big one mm -hmm. there. They have other questions which we might want to engage with them, but I think they get that one right. I think the concentration on Christmas is really a Western thing and I think a modern Western thing, and it's been helped on its way by the fact that over the last two or 300 years, many Western Christians have been so puzzled by uh, the, the challenge of Jesus' resurrection. Can we actually believe that? Or was it just a metaphor? Or was it just a way of the disciples saying that they thought his cause lived on or that God still loved them or something like that? And, you know, the, the, the language in the New Testament cannot be translated into that. It really is all about Jesus being bodily alive again mm -hmm. in a transformed physicality. Um, and so that has been so difficult for modern Western persons to get their heads around that many teachers have quietly soft peddled it, or they've just seen it as, as a happy ending after the rather sad Good Friday story without really exploring what it means. But what it means, of course, and you see this, I mean, take John's gospel, the way John tells the story of the first East today, uh, very early in the morning when it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb. He's got echoes of Genesis chapter one in the back of his head, which actually John has had since his prologue, in the beginning was the word. So this is the way John tells the story means this is the beginning of new creation. A new creation, yep, that's what the prophets had promised. That's what the Psalms had promised. And the New Testament doesn't say, oh, forget creation, we've got a better idea, we're going to heaven. The New Testament says, yes, the new creation has been launched decisively in and through Jesus. So Easter is the real beginning. Of course, it, it all depends on what Jesus did during his ministry and particularly his death on the cross, because if he hadn't dealt with sin on the cross, he couldn't have dealt with death because the two are umbilically joined. The one needs to be dealt with so that the new world can appear. 
that too goes back to the prophets. But so, so that the idea of starting with Easter and thinking of the year as from Easter to Easter, obviously you can do the Christian year many different ways. You can traditionally start in Advent, and do Advent, Christmas, and then on through, and then back to looking forward to the Advent. That's okay. But um, th this strikes me as a refreshing and energizing way of, of seeing the whole thing. Yes. And, and I'm sure the whole commercialism, materialism aspect of Christmas makes it a much easier sell for Western culture to focus their energies there. It's easier to sell a baby in a manger in Santa Claus than yeah. a, a criminal's death, burial, and a resurrection yeah. that was hard to explain. Um, and Absolutely. talking about Easter, and, and, and you know, you, you have a whole chapter on Passion Tide, and Passion Tide being that uh, you know the last two weeks of Lent as we lead up to uh, you know Good Friday, uh, Lazarus Saturday, Resurrection Sunday. But talk to us a little bit about Lent because there's this there's this whole idea of deprivation that is a big part of this season. What is the significance of this practice in the Christian Church? Yeah. Um, I think since ancient Israel and on through the Jews of Jesus' day, um, the people of God in this great Judeo-Christian tradition, as we loosely call it, have always known that the proper response to the way God's good creation currently is, is a mixture of celebration and lament. And uh, as I look at the Western world, I see both of those done wrong. Uh, I, I was um, switching channels on the television the other night. I don't watch a lot of television, but I happen to be going from one program to another. And there were lots of coming shortlies. And half of these coming shortlies were for horrible things, dark things, really unpleasant themes uh, with, with angry, bitter people. And then some of the other coming shortlies were for utter triviality, for silly game shows, for people cackling meaninglessly. And I thought, you know, um, the world knows that it has to do lament. The world knows that it has to do celebration. But because it's trying to generate both out of its own resources, it gets them both wrong. Whereas in the Bible and in the Christian tradition, as in the Jewish tradition, you have real lament. Think of some of the Psalms. Think of the book of Job and so on, and, and the book of Lamentations itself. The sense that as we look at these, say, this is God's world. It should not be like that. And we say, Lord, have mercy. What's going on? That is an utterly appropriate response. And then equally, there are many things in the world from the birth of a healthy baby through to all sorts of good things that happen, where the appropriate response is praise God from whom all blessings flow. And the, the Christian life has to be a rhythm of both. And it's a way of helping us remind ourselves of that rhythm, to set aside a time when we actually say, we're going to do lament now. And you know, I think there's a lot of people out there on the street, people, some of whom come to church, some of whom don't, who actually, if they could be drawn into real lament, would actually find that an enormous sigh of relief because they carry burdens with them. And to be told it's all right to spread these out before the God who loves you. And we don't understand what's going on, but that's okay. And teaching one another to lament is, is an amazing, it's a therapeutic exercise. In other words, it isn't just being gloomy and saying, oh, well, the whole thing's going to hell in a handbasket. It's, it's, about, it's about saying this is God's world and we sense its pain and we hold on to that in the presence of God, trusting that in God's good purposes, fresh things will happen and there will be a celebration somewhere out the other side. Mm, I love that. And yes, that posture of lament is very much a biblical posture throughout history. 
you know, look at the scriptures. That is very much a part of pouring out our hearts before God, a God that understands and connects with the needs of his children, of his creation. Um, you know, you talk about this book really is centered around the, the celebration of resurrection. You know, Dr. Wright, what is the hope of the resurrection for every believer? Because you say it's not just for the not yet, but for the here and now. Yeah, this is the extraordinary thing. And again, this has crept up on me over the years because, you know, as I've taught particularly New Testament studies in different places and as I've preached in my different ministerial roles, I've realized most people, most faithful Christian people, have only just got their fingernails on this. They haven't often got a real grasp of it. But the whole point of Easter Day, when Jesus came out of the tomb, is that this was the beginning of God's new world. It wasn't an example of something else. It was the reality around which everything else, if you like, gets organized. Because of who Jesus was, because of his announcement of God's kingdom, because of his dying for sinners on the cross, um, now God's new world can be launched. So in a sense, it's about dividing time down the middle. It's about saying up till that Easter, well, you know, Jesus' ministry beforehand, yes, but Easter itself, up till then, the world is waiting. Now, something has happened as a result of which the world is a different place. Now, of course, just as it takes faith to believe that God did raise Jesus from the dead, because we know perfectly well, like everybody in the ancient world knew perfectly well, that dead people don't suddenly get up and walk about again. It takes faith and historical understanding to grasp that. But in the same way, it takes faith to believe as we look out at the world, as we read the newspapers, as we watch the television, it takes faith to believe that what happened on Easter Day actually did launch God's new creation. And over the last two or three hundred years, many thinkers in the Western world have done their best to rubbish that idea and say, no, 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 Christianity is part of the problem, it's not part of the solution. Mm -hmm. But actually, as people are now, I think, beginning again to realize, I think of my friend, the historian Tom Holland, in his recent book, Dominion, that actually the Western world has been enormously shaped by Christianity. There was no such thing as a social conscience in the first century. Ancient Romans didn't wander around worrying about slavery or worrying because different ethnic groups were getting a hard time or worrying because of poor people on the street. That was obviously their fault. You know, the, the whole idea of caring for the poor, of health care for everybody, of education for everybody, these were, were part of the deal for Jesus' followers from the beginning. And here's the thing. Because of Jesus' resurrection, they had a sense of a new power being unleashed into the world, which then came into them and through them, through the Holy Spirit, mm -hmm. so that the resurrection and the Spirit go very closely together, that the new thing which happened at Easter gets implemented through the Spirit, through Jesus' followers. Of course, the Holy Spirit is working in a thousand different ways elsewhere around the world, but particularly through Jesus' followers, making Jesus known as the healer, as the restorer, as the beginner of new things, as the reconciler. And so that idea of Easter as the great turning point of history, the moment when an enormous old door that people thought was locked forever swung open and suddenly there is God's new world and God's saying, you're invited, now come on with me. That is so exciting, Dr. Wright. And I wanna, I wanna read a couple excerpts from the book. Uh, page 375, 376, for those of you, when you get your hands on this book, I would strongly recommend you do. You say, Easter week itself ought not to be the time when all the clergy sigh with relief and go on holiday. 
It ought to be an eight-day festival with champagne served after morning prayer or, or in the evening with lots of alleluias and extra hymns and spectacular anthems. Amen to that. It is something to celebrate. <laughs> I love the fact, and, and just I want to transition here for a second because there, there's quite possibly someone watching right now, Dr. Wright, that doesn't know anything about this, the person of Jesus, doesn't know about the plan of salvation. And you talk about this further on in this same chapter, the next page, 376. You say, take away Christmas, and in biblical terms, you, lo you lose two books of the Bible that precedes the Synoptic Gospels. But if you take away Easter, you don't have a New Testament. Talk to yeah. us about the power of Jesus to transform a life. Take us from darkness to light. Yeah, it, it's, it's such a wonderful thing because it is both a historical moment. You know, somewhere in roughly AD 30, we don't have a precise dating, but somewhere there, uh, the Christian message hinges on the fact that something happened then as a result of which the world is different. But part of that difference is that for every man, woman, and child being faced with that, it comes back to them. There can be a moment in your life when for you there can be this great transition. And we see that happening again and again in the New Testament in a thousand different ways. Sometimes people just hear the rumor of Jesus and something warms inside them and they think, wow, this sounds like it might actually be true, even if it feels crazy, but where do I learn more? Where do I sign on? And at other times, like in, in Acts chapter 16, when Paul is in Philippi, there's an earthquake and the walls fall down and the jailer is about to kill himself. And Paul says, no, don't do that. Believe in Jesus instead. And so it goes from the dramatic to the very gentle and everything in between. Um, but people discover that as they come into the presence of the risen Jesus, as part of the point of the resurrection, is that Jesus is alive and active. He's on the loose. He's out there doing stuff. Um, part of that is that he's meeting people, calling them to himself, equipping them for his service, assuring them of his undying love. Um, even you know, So many people, oh, can God really love me? Could this actually be true? And the answer is yes. Look at the resurrection. The resurrection is God saying yes to everything that Jesus had done and taught before, which included again and again assuring sinners that they were forgiven, that God loved them. The resurrection says yes, and this is how it's done. And now you can be part of it. So it's both the great historical moment and again and again and again, the great personal moment. The divine design that each one of us were created for that relationship with God, Dr. Wright so eloquently stated. Thank you so much. It is such a joy to have you with us. I'm challenged in my own life today to live out the fullness of God's kingdom right here and right now. And I want to encourage our viewers <laughs> to do the same thing because it is such a blessing to live in that mindset. The book is on Earth As Is In Heaven by N.T. Wright. I'd encourage our viewers to go out and get a copy of it. A wonderful Easter reading in preparation for what should be the greatest celebration on our Christian calendar. Thank you, Dr. Wright. God bless you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Well, I just loved listening back to my conversation with Dr. Wright. Of course, his book is On Earth As In Heaven. Um, such valuable insights really made me reflect, perhaps even reassess how I perceive, how I remember, how I celebrate the Easter season. I love what he said. Easter should be this, the resur from Resurrection Monday onward, for at least a week, 
we should be celebrating every morning with champagne and orange juice, singing hymns and spiritual songs of praise to God our Father for what he has done through his son Jesus. Because Jesus' story didn't end in the grave. It didn't end in the tomb. That was just the middle part of the story, where Jesus went to hell and took back the keys of sin and death. And so now we have the promise of life and life eternal. And so oftentimes we can get wrapped up in this thinking that, you know, the life eternal is for the hereafter or the not yet. You know, we think about, well, when I, when I just get to heaven, things will be better. But no, Dr. Wright says we should be expecting and living and, and, and appropriating the, the, the heavenly life right here on earth as we have Jesus living in us. We are empowered by his Holy Spirit. And that is reason to celebrate. That is reason to rejoice. That is reason to party. And so um, I just thought it was really cool to get a fresh perspective on what Easter represents. It is putting to death the old, and it's to bringing and it's bringing to life the new. It's a fresh start. It's a new beginning. It is resurrection power, resurrection life. And we know that things oftentimes have to go into the ground. Seed has to go into the ground in order for it to germinate, and then a plant and a sprout will come up through the surface of the soil and blossom into a beautiful, full-grown, mature plant. And that's what God does in each one of our lives. When we allow ourselves to be buried with Christ and also resurrected with Him as a result of our accepting his sacrifice for us and accepting him into our lives. And today I want to encourage you, maybe you haven't made that decision to follow Jesus. Maybe you're feeling dead. You might not describe it, not literally, but you're feeling figuratively dead in your, in your soul. You don't feel like there's any life there. And I want to encourage you that Jesus has come that you can have life and have it abundantly. That's not just words, folks. That's real deal life to the full, abundant life. I want, I want to encourage you to make a decision today to follow Jesus. Put the old behind you, and you have nothing to lose but to try Jesus and see the difference that he makes in your life. And you know what? If you'd like to pray with someone, you'd like someone to encourage you in this decision you've made um, or this decision you are considering, pick up the phone and call this number. I'm going to give it to you a couple of times. I know I've been going really fast because I'm so excited about my conversation with Dr. Wright. But here's the number, one 866 273-4444. That's 1-866-273-4444. Or you can go to Crossroads, uh, prayer at crossroads.ca. You can actually send us an email there. Another more sort of immediate way besides the phone is now that we're in the digital age, you can go on to our crossroads.ca page and click on the chat icon in the bottom, bottom right-hand corner and our digital pastor will be in touch with you. Uh, thank you for listening today. We always just love bringing you these interviews and just um, allowing them to speak into your lives. I know they speak to us time and time again, these stories of transformation and information and inspiration, because that's why we're here. We're here to bring hope and life into your everyday folks. We love you. God loves you more importantly, and we want you to have a blessed day. And again, you've been listening to the 100 Huntley Street podcast with your host, Mark Masry. Make sure you keep checking back to this platform regularly for new episodes. Bye for now. Thank you for your ongoing support of Crossroads, a supporter-funded nonprofit organization and member of the Canadian Centre of Christian Charities. Thanks to faithful people like you, we are able to continue producing 100 Huntley Street. 
you can write to Crossroads P.O. Box 5100, Burlington, Ontario, L7R4M2, or visit crossroads.ca to learn more about our programs.